second to last chapter, chapter 25, Acquiring Fear of Sin on page 174. The way to acquire this type of fear, however, is by reflecting upon two objective realities. One is that the divine presence exists everywhere in the world. And the other is that the blessed one oversees everything, small and great, and nothing is concealed from his sight, neither because of the magnitude of the subject nor because of its insignificance. These are two important facts that we have to recognize to really help us acquire this level of fear of sin. Once again, not fear of punishment, but fear of sin, fear of disappointing and not doing exactly what it is that Hashem wants from us. So number one, we have to recognize that God exists everywhere in the world. Now, once again, we don't mean this on a, um, on a physical level, right? I think I said over the story, how one time I was walking with my daughters and my three-year-old daughter was telling my 10-year-old daughter that she's afraid. So my 10-year-old daughter said she doesn't have to be afraid because God is everywhere. So then she immediately stopped walking because she didn't want to step on God, right? Now, obviously that comes from a three-year-old's perspective of what it means that God is everywhere. But in truth, obviously, God is not made from the same physical and does not have a physical presence at all. So when we say that divine presence exists, we don't mean in a physical sense. We mean in the dimension that God exists. Second thing is that God sees everything and God is omniscient. So rather he sees and he comprehends without discrimination, great things and small things, the reviled and the esteemed. This is what scripture states in Isaiah. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And it states in Jeremiah, behold, I fill the heavens and the earth. And in Psalms, who is like the eternal our God, who though enthroned on high, lowers himself to look upon the heavens and the earth. And again, for the eternal is exalted, yet he sees the lowly, and to the haughty he will make himself known from afar. So these are taken as axiomatic in scripture. Once it becomes clear to a person that wherever he may be, he is standing before the divine presence, he will automatically be filled with fear and trepidation concerning any faulty deeds he might commit, which might then not be worthy of his exalted glory. And so two separate points. Number one, we're actually standing in front of God no matter where we are. Number two, God actually cares about everything that we do, from deeds great to deeds, deeds small. This is what they said in Pirkei Avot, Chapters of the Fathers. Know it is above you, an observing eye and a listening ear, and all of your deeds are being inscribed in the book. And this was what the sages prescription for achieving a level of fear of sin that would have a significant effect on your ability to choose the right choices in life. Since the providence of the Holy One, blessed be he, relates to everything, and he, the eternal, sees all and hears all, certainly all deeds will leave an imprint, and they are all inscribed in the book, whether for good or for bad. This, however, will only be engraved in a person's mind by constant reflection and much observation. The important point that he's going to deal with now. What we're dealing with is completely abstract, completely. You know, you cannot get more abstract than the, these concepts. I was learning with someone today, a 16-year-old, who is, you know, not religious and really has very little exposure to Judaism. And we were learning the Ramban, Nachmanides. In the beginning of the Torah, Nachmanides describes creation. And it's pretty fascinating how Nachmanides describes creation. It almost exactly lines up with what the scientific almost consensus is today about the Big Bang. You know, how there was a, a singularity and a singularity, all of energy was all contained in this tiny, tiny little point. And that was the first thing that God created. 
And then after that, that began expanding at a very rapid speed. And that energy turned into, into mass. And then God started creating and forming it in different ways. So the, the individual I was learning with was like, oh, are you trying to say that the Ramban knew about the Big Bang Theory? So I said, no, I'm not trying to say that. Right? But what I'm trying to say is that the Big Bang Theory is not a contradiction at all to the fact that God created the world. Now, how is this relevant to what we're talking about today? Because what we then got to is discussing the idea that science can only deal with things that it could somewhat measure, whether it be observation, inductive reasoning, deductive reasoning. But once you start talking about things that are beyond its capacity, it's not in the realm of science anymore, right? You ask a scientist what was here before the Big Bang. Can't the conversation doesn't begin. If you ask a scientist, well, the Earth is, the, the universe is expanding. What is the universe expanding into? What's on the other side before it expands into it? It's a completely abstract concept. There's no conversation. There's no vocabulary, no terminology that can really in, encapsulate what we're even discussing. And so too, in reality, when we start talking about God, when we say God's presence is everywhere, can we really even understand that on any basic level? Not really. So it's, it's a conceptual idea that we're trying to bring home to ourselves that will have an impact on our decision-making process. Now, how do we do this? This, however, will only be engraved in a person's mind by constant reflection and much observation. Since this is far removed from our senses, the mind will only be able to picture it after profound analysis and observance. And even after he has drawn a clear picture in his mind, it will disappear easily if he does not work on it diligently. And he's really, he's, he's getting into a pretty deep idea over here in terms of our ability to believe in something that we have no real way of experiencing in any sort of tangible way, in any sort of, uh, you know, approvable way, right? And we're going to try to live our lives with the mindset and the, the uh, worldview that God is in front of us at all times and God cares deeply about all of our actions. That's a, that's a tall task to ask. So you have to think about it and you have to go through it. You have to go through it in every which way possible to try to delve into these ideas of the, of the, the concepts that, that God does exist. And only after doing that and doing that on a regular basis can you reach a level of near certainty that God exists, God is with us at all times and God cares deeply about our actions. Therefore, what emerges from this is that in the same manner that serious reflection is the method needed for acquiring fear permanently, so is distraction, along with cessation of analysis, the greatest cause of its loss, whether this is the result of anxieties or of intent. All distraction negates the constancy of fear. What he's saying is, is that since to really get to this level of an, a completely abstract realization, but an abstract realization made very, very real due to the constant repetitive thinking and the constant Fixing in your mind the ideas that God does exist, even if he's abstract, even if it's on a dimension that we cannot possibly fathom or really connect to, right? If you fix that in your mind, you'll be able to, to keep this state of fear, a fear of sin, right, in front of you at all times. Now, what's the enemy of doing that? Well, the enemy of doing that is distraction. To the extent that you are distracting yourself from these ideas and to the extent that you remove from your mind these ideas, it becomes harder and harder to keep them fixed in your mind on a level that will actually engage with and help you, help us really uh, fight off sin. 
This idea is rooted in what the Holy One, blessed be he, has commanded the king. It shall be with him and he shall study it all the days of his life so that he learns to fear the eternal, his God. So the Torah tells us that every man ha has the obligation to either write a Sefer Torah or to acquire a Sefer Torah. A king has an additional obligation, not just to have one Sefer Torah. A king has an obligation that even if, let's say, his father passed along a Sefer Torah to him, he has an obligation to write an additional Sefer Torah and to keep that Sefer Torah, the, the, you know, the book of the Torah, with him at all times. Why? Because without having him at, with him at all times, without studying it from him all the days of his life, he will not be able to truly fear Hashem. And a king has great power. And with that great power comes great responsibility and an onus to not mess up. And the only way for him to do that, Torah teaches us explicitly. Have that Torah with him at all times and to learn from that Torah at every day. Now, from here, what we are taught is that learning how to fear can only be accomplished through uninterrupted study. Examine the way the verse is worded, so that he learns to fear, rather than so that he fears. In other words, and he's going to really continue to expand on this, but we're not going to do it tonight. What he's saying is, is like this. What the verse is teaching us, and the verse is very particular about every word that it uses. What the verse is teaching us is the way to learn how to fear God is through constant review, through constant envelopment of your studies. That's the way to learn how to fear God. And that's true both for the king and it's also true for us as individuals.